0: Hey, hello, what's up, everybody? Official scorecard here. I'm going to be doing this live today alone. Corruption's not here. Yeah, the reason for it is uh, that we were not able to cover the fights from the previous week, and uh, I doubt that I would be available um, this Sunday. So for uh, for the past week, the whole week, I wanted to cover the fights that happened the, the, the previous weekend and also talk about a fight that happened the last night the light flyweight fight title fight between uh muru and uh, sunny edwards um yes yeah, so i have a lot of notes here about the fights from the previous week but, um, yeah, I'm gonna go from the top of my dome for uh, for this Matlani versus Edward fight that took place the last night. Yeah, so I was rooting for mutlani And uh, I'm sure if corruption was here today, he would tell you that. Uh, I mean, I know for a fact that he... he He's probably still heartbroken that that he couldn't that we couldn't include him on our top ten pound for pound list, and it just tells you of uh, how good of a fighter Matlani is. Uh, Matlani, who who's been undefeated for uh, for a very long time, for more than a decade. His last defeat coming from, uh, from, uh, from the fight he had against uh, Nonito Donero in t- 2008, if I'm not wrong. And he's been able to, to defeat Casimiro and other very, very good fighters. So, yeah, look, let's get straight into it. And uh, if you know me, you know how much I love to shit on those bitches commentators. They're terrible. They're terrible everywhere. And uh, man, the, the competition is so, so strong. We are living, I would say, we are living in a, in a golden era of shit commentators where all these fuckers are just competing which one of them is gonna say the most outrageous shit what's up duck big up thank you for being here haven't seen you in a long time man thank you for for tuning in as well shout out to Ness mendoza mr mendoza mr mendoza for you and uh, john gonzalez of course Big up to all of you and uh, to anyone else who who will be joined later or would be listening to the stream later after it's finished. Yeah, but uh, let's get into this fighting between Mutlane and Edwards. Uh, Mutlane was a favorite. Although I've been seeing all over the social media on uh, other people's streams in the chat rooms as well, on Twitter, that I was fearing that if it's, if it goes to distance and if Mutlani, just in case Mutlani deserves the victory, that he gonna get robbed. Now, in my opinion, uh well, Charlie Edwards uh, won this fight definitely, but it was, it was just a, man, the, these BT commentators—they're—they're they're just terrible. I was well, what was the last time I was watching to 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 a BT stri- um, transmission? Was it uh, the guy that fought uh, Kovalev versus uh, well, the two British light heavyweights, if I'm not wrong, and. Or no, maybe it was uh, Dubois versus uh, versus uh, Joe Joyce. Anyways, I was fed up with them because despite Charlie uh, Sunny Edwards defeating Mutulani, I was I was just amazed of how 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 biased they were. Okay, so Duck in the chat room saying BT commentators were even much worse in the Kamlon fight. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it, Duck. <laughs> Only that I couldn't give a fuck about that fight. And I, was, I tried to watch it, but I was not really interested into it. I was, uh, so I finally decided not to watch it and uh, watch uh, the other people's streams, uh, Thunderdome stream, until the main event. And I tried to 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 take a look a few times at a fight. I was not extremely interested about that Kanlans um, uh, fight, but from the looks of it, he he looked to me very very sloppy, very predictable, telegraphing his punches, no good timing. Hey, Cina Mosia. hello, my friend, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah doc in fact i i read your comments uh, was it uh, in the in the discord or on uh, thunderdome stream saying that and uh, a lot of people i mean all the people saying that that fight was very close but they were not surprised that calen got the decision <laughs> yeah Doug. saying you know i watch about everything official i have low standards <laughs> <laughs> Oh, konnichiwa, Sinamosia, konnichiwa. Ogenki Dead guy. What's up? What's up, bro? Thank you all for being here. Yeah, so those were just a few words about Kamlin uh, and his fight that I couldn't be butter- bothered to, to watch. Uh, just a few glimpses of it that I cut but not the main event of the last night's show. Uh, first, and from what I remember, Doc, I saw, uh, I saw you and Shep saying the same thing um, as the commentators, which I completely disagreed, to be to be honest. Uh, you guys all had like 4-0 uh, after the, the first four rounds. Well, I mean, not a big deal because... I would say for for the the entirety of this fight, Mutlani, even the the, the rounds that he won, um, most of them, not all, but most of them, I would say he he wasn't winning them by by a big margin. I would say that the some of the rounds that Edwards won were more impressive. He was looking more impressive, Edwards, in the in the rounds that that he won, than um, Mutlani was Mutlani. Was looking in the rounds that I gave to Mutlani. Well, first round I gave to Mutlani. Uh, sorry for uh, for not pro- pro- probably not pronouncing his name well. Uh, yeah, that's saying I scored it eight to four in the end. Official. Well, I'll I'll get to it. Yeah, I have something in- interesting to say about it. So um, keep your ears open. I'll. I'll uh, I'll come to, to it later. Yeah. So first round they gave to Matlani, and about around uh, since the fifth round on, I really stopped scoring it. Probably because I was I was annoyed by by the commentators from BT Sport. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I would say even the the, the fourth round. It was very close and I thought that uh, it should go to to, to Mutlane, but the fifth round, uh, the third round especially from Edwards was was, uh, very, very uh, impressive. So Mutlane was trying to, you know, he was pressuring him from uh, and keeping the range at the same time. Uh, Jumping from outside to mid-range, trying to catch him uh, coming straight in, while uh, Edwards was using this non-stop lateral movement. Now, for, for my taste, it was too much running, too much running. That's something. If you know me, you know that I don't I don't like to, to see those type of uh, type uh, these type of fights. But yeah, I can see Edwards was very, very, uh, very good at, at what he was doing, and I must say that uh, his lateral movement was looking very impressive. But on the other hand, Matlani—he he has such a such a good a quality basic high guard that. In my opinion, he was he was blocking 98 percent of the punches, at least in the first two thirds of the fight. For the the first eight round, eight rounds, he was doing a great job of blocking a huge, really huge amount of uh, Edwards punches. Now Edwards, to his credit, yeah, he was placing some good body shots since the first round. He was looking to work the body. So, especially, just like I said, in the third round, he, he plays some impressive body shots, but not only that round. Throughout the fight, he was, he was very dedicated to landing body shots while moving laterally, pivoting on his front southpaw lead right foot. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a very good performance from uh, from Sonny Edwards. But, uh, however, I thought that a huge amount of his punches were plugged by Mattelani. And if you know me, you know me. <laughs> I mean, to me, my opinion, uh, the, the, the first, uh, the most important thing when it comes to scoring rounds is the amount of landed punches, the amount of uh, the, the number of landed punches, who outlanded who, and uh, who was landing at the same time, who was landing the better shots, all of the other things. Uh, I mean, you can, you can make, make an opponent look stupid throughout the whole round, the entire round, but if he's able to outland you despite making him look bad by hitting air hitting the air if he outlanded you in the in a round i'm gonna give it to him um now yeah we can go even deeper than that but i'm not gonna go that deep that's that's another topic scoring scoring the rounds the criteria for scoring the rounds uh so yeah but i was I was impressed with uh, Mutlanis' defense, especially since he, he is always coming forward, and uh, with his lateral movement, uh, moving all all around the ring. Uh, Edwards was really able to to keep uh, Mutlanis' usually extremely high output. To, to to a minimum, although it was uh, pretty high still I mean he, he's throwing punches nonstop uh, but not as much as in his other fights, previous fights. Uh, Mutlani who's uh, 38, 39 years or t- 38 in my opinion, which, which is like a dinosaur in uh, in those lower weight classes and it's very impressive what he's able to do now about his defense uh, it reminds me and now look he's coming from uh, from south africa it's not it's definitely not the same country as ghana we are talking about two completely different african countries so i'm not going to like um, I don't know how to say it but I'm not gonna draw some some stupid comparisons just because uh, both countries are from Africa but his defense really remind me of that game uh, of that style taught in uh, Accra Ghana high guard I mean, they're really impressive with uh, how they're able to, to block punches with their high guard. And uh, that's something that, yeah, Doc exactly, Joshua Clady and many others, that style, I mean, in one of the future episodes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe it, what's, what, what's the difference, how, how they're able to, to block so many punches with their high guard. But that's a topic for another conversation, for for another episode. Um, yeah, Duck also said previously. I liked how Sunny said post fight that the 120-108 scorecard was nonsense. Was nonsense, and it was more eight to four or seven to five in his in his eyes. Class, class act. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I'll I'll get to it too, because this commentators are saying so much bullshit, notably, uh, I don't even think they, they they maybe gave and barely gave one single round to Matlani, uh, which was crazy, uh, from what I remember, and I haven't re-watched the fight, I, watched it, I only watched it live once the last night, but from what I'm able to remember, I thought that the seventh round was... The most impressive round for Mutlani, who was really landing a lot of great punches on him, uh, was able to pin him down the ropes and uh, hit him with body shots, uh, punches to, to the head, uh, even, even hurt him. Uh, but those cocksuckers from BT they still gave it to... They said something along the lines of, uh, oh yeah, another round for for Edwards. Now, by the end of the fight, uh, Mutlani was getting even more aggressive, but it also meant that he was... uh, that those were more chances for Edwards to, to make him look bad by pivoting when uh, mutlani was jumping in timing his uh, timing mutlani stepping into his range and pivot on the front foot and pivot out and uh, make him hit hit the air with uh, with his combos uh, so yeah but even in, in those last rounds Despite looking bad, Mutlani was able to to make uh, to make some rounds, you know, to, to, to get uh, to win the rounds, and um, yeah, so it's it was just insane what what the commentators, the cocksuckers from BT were saying. Uh, hold on. Uh, now, yeah. Um, what what I was about to say, yeah. This fight was another fight that uh, reminds me of uh, Julio Cesar Chavez versus Parnell Whitaker in a sense that, look, those fighters are not really the same stylistically. Um, Although Matlani was pressuring Edwards and Edwards was on the back foot, just uh, just like with... um, Chavez and uh, Purnell, but they are completely different fighters. Matlani isn't the same fighter, the same type of fighter as Julio Cesar. Chavez Sr. nor uh, Edwards is uh, like Purnell-Whitaker. But I'm not talking about the styles. I'm I'm talking about winning the rounds, especially those late rounds. yeah, while Edwards was able to, to make uh, Mutlani look bad, look stupid, by by lunging in and hitting the air with two, three, four-piece combos. Um, like I'm saying, a lot of those rounds, uh, the late rounds, Mutlani was winning them. And uh, I told you, Mutlani especially started turning the hit from the 6-7 round on. And um, so post the post-fight interview, uh, the BT commentators were praising Edwards, uh, I mean, and indeed it was uh, a quality performance for, uh, from him, definitely, credit to him, credit to Edwards, uh, he, he won the fight, I'm not complaining about it, and uh, I have nothing bad to say about him um now it's just how much cocksucking the commentators were doing on him and so he he discredited those cocksuckers himself and he did a great job in fact huge credit to Sonny edwards for that uh now duck in the chat room he's saying he also praised matlani's high guard by the way official that That was very hard. That it was very hard to get his punches through. Exactly. Yeah. See that part. I don't even remember that part exactly. I forgot it. But it's the same thing that I was seeing throughout this whole fight. Now, indeed, near the end of the fight, uh, Sunny Edwards was was having more success with landing his punches on Matlani. But he was honest enough to say the same thing that I was seeing and uh, many other people's people were seeing uh, throughout the fight, and he 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 he, he clearly negated uh, what uh, th- this narrative that the BT commentators suckers were spewing. Uh, yeah, he said that, but the other two things he, he was saying is that from the 6-7 round, her legs were so tired and uh, he started getting, you know, getting hit with with some very good punches that uh, that Mutlana basically gave, gave him hell. And like I told you... In between the seventh and the eighth round, commentators were agreeing that the seventh round was uh, was Edwards' round, while in reality it was the best round that uh, Mutlani had in this whole fight, and where he really, really outlanded him. And uh, by the way, I would say that throughout the fight, uh, the the best punches were landed by by Mutlani. Um And like Doug said, while commentators were were talking about some imaginary 120 to 108 fight in uh, Edward's favor, Edward said it himself. He thought it was much more like 8 to 4 or 7 to 5 type of fight, in his opinion. And I completely agree with that. I, I, I thought it was that kind of fight. And it was definitely a class act. So big up to Edwards for that. Uh, really, really, he, he really displayed a great lateral movement, very good timing, nice combos. So props to him. And as well, props to Moruti Mutalani, a great champion. At 30 years 38-years-old veteran who who always wanted to fight nothing but the best, uh, who's been undefeated, been, been a champion for more than a decade, big up to him. Uh, yeah, so now that was about this fighting between Matlany and Edwards. Now let's go to the fights from the previous weekend, such as uh, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Christopher Diaz, uh, Xander Zas versus Demarcus Layton, uh, Joseph Adorno versus Jermaine Ortiz, Edgar Berlanga versus Demond Nicholson. Oh, what else is there? Yeah, but also Daigo Higa versus a prospect named Ryosuke Nishida, as well as uh, the return of uh, 108 champion, another another champion from 108. You know that we covered uh, Corruption and myself, we were covering Hiroto Koguchi, but the other one, Kenshiro Teraji, uh, versus Tetsuya Hisada and uh, a couple of awards on kerman uh, leharaga versus Jazz smith and uh, on kazuto yoka situation so i think we are going to start with the puerto rican uh, card and probably start with the main event <laughs> <laughs> that will oh yeah we'll get to it but I also have some some good things to say about Berlanga. Now I clearly I'm clearly seeing his limits, but I think there is a hope for him. But let's go to Emmanuel neverett versus Christopher Diaz, which was the main event of the Puerto Rican card. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't remember exactly where this fight took place uh, in which of the American cities but the card was all Puerto Rican so let's read my notes and it took a lot of notes I have I really have a lot of interesting points to make about this fight but uh, just uh, like you can uh, before that like you see on the screen Guys, please go, na- uh, go donate, if you're able to donate, to Pain page uh, for, for Gonzalo's newborn son. The link is in the description. I'm gonna also post it in the chat room. Just give me a second. Here it is. Okay, so the thing is, Gonzalo, many of you may know him, a really great guy. Uh, He's a Mexican-American, he's uh, the US Army veteran, uh, whose uh, hospital expenses would be covered if he was living in, uh, in the US, in the United States. But the thing is, he's living in the Philippines and his hospital bills Are not covered unfortunately and uh, his son who who's been born uh, who who was born in February I think if I'm not wrong uh, has been was only able to spend three days out of hospital Uh, so I really really uh, Sad situation for uh, for Gonzalo's son, for uh, for Gonzalo and his family to, to go through through all this. He had uh, pneumonia and some other respiratory um, problems. So uh, he he was um, the baby was forced to to have. Um, a threshold tube down his throat for uh, for multiple months already despite the tre- threshold t- tube uh, being, uh, how do you say it? Being supposed to, to be used for no more than two weeks and it's been more than two months that it's the case. So, uh, and then plus there, there were complications with the threshold tube, tube, the threshold tube, the size of it, uh, they should have been uh, using the smallest, uh, the threshold tube of the smallest size, but uh, they were unable to find it. It's very difficult to find it around the world. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, when the GoPay, GoFundMe page, sorry, was started. He was already like more than $13,000 in debt, even more. And uh, since then, the GoFundMe page was started for him, but uh, it was only covering um, the expenses made up till the moment the gofundme page was started but since the gofundme page was started uh his uh, his newborn son his newborn born baby mattel uh, uh still uh had to had to be kept in the hospital so um, the expenses are growing, and the thing is that in the Philippines, like in some other countries of the third world, uh, if you're not able to to cover the expenses to pay for them, uh, they, they would kick the baby out of hospital, which I don't have to tell you how terrible it would be. So please check the link if you're able to donate something. But make sure, please make sure to share the link because it doesn't cost anything. But you may never know how many people may see it, how many people that GoFundMe link may reach, and. Uh, it, by you just simply sharing the link can make make the difference so i wish uh, matteo as well as gonzalo their whole family uh much courage much luck and the strength and a big thanks to to everyone who's already been donating and uh, trying to help them out trying to raise the awareness of uh, of uh, what's happening so i wish i wish them uh, good luck big up mark aka unravel boxing talk who who's one of the channels who's been uh, raising the funds did a great job raising the funds for uh, for uh, gonzalo's baby matt mateo uh by doing uh seven days long stream big props uh speak your minds um this page what, what, what's his page uh, speak your minds sport tv something like that uh he's doing the same thing it's been four days since there have been uh on air, streaming, raising the awareness, trying to, to help <coughs> donate. Oh, uh, corruption, is, corruption is sending me the message, asking for the link. Here it is. Hold on. OK, Corruption, the link is sent. yes uh, speak your mind sports tv is already on the air raising the the awareness about uh gonzalo's and his baby's mateo's situation um we all wish wish them well hoping everything is gonna be all right um Otherwise, big up to Triple JJ JJJ and to Vader D. What's up guys? Uh <laughs> Vader D saying justice for Sokolovsky. I mean I, I, I wasn't watching that card, but I was reading reading the comments all over the Discord. Um, I mean I I, I heard of uh, how terrible of a robbery it was But yeah, let's let's just hang on for a second and see. Oh corruption is here. Great. So corruption, what's up? Yeah. How you've been doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. Okay, yeah, so like I told you the last night I was supposed to to go live, but I was tired. And uh, I chose to to do it today simply because I'm not uh, I'm not sure that I will be available this Sunday probably but not not sure. So at the same time, I wanted to cover the fights from the last week and this one. Uh, do you have anything to say about the Matilani Edwards fight or uh, anything? Yeah, I I'll just... Yeah, I'll speak a little bit about that specific fight.
1: I watched only half of the fight yesterday evening. I I sort of left in a bit of disgust. But I came back to it this morning. um, Cleared my mind after a few muffins. Um, The the problem with Maruti in this fight, I think that the fundamental problem against um, sort of an erratic, elusive back foot switch hitting style is that maruti never jabbed or double jabbed on his way in and that was the big problem in the fight he was facing an opponent who had superior hand speed and foot speed by virtue of significant youth massive age discrepancy between the two so maruti is the shorter orthodox fighter if you're not jabbing or or double jabbing on your way in then how are you going to impose pressure how are you going to back the opposition fighter up against the ropes in an ideal real estate where you can actually land trap him and then land your heavier combinations to break him down and ultimately knock him out which was his objective so number one you're not you're not pushing sonny edwards back with any physical force so therefore he can because of his height as well and his and his length then he can just sort of pick off at long range he knows there's no imminent danger and then number 2 you're not setting up your punches so therefore you're not calculating the correct range against a fighter who who is in perpetual motion all the time he's up and he's bouncing left right on his toes orthodox southpaw he's switching the angles so he's making your already difficult target already harder and it's already harder as it is because your your hand-eye coordination is not that brilliant because you're 38 years old and you're fighting after a long time and you're fighting in the UK so Maruti didn't help himself in any capacity in this fight so when you're just lunging in with punches trying to land you know left hands to the body um Sunny can see the punches, and then hence he was just able to, you know, pick, pick, throw that sweeping right hook, which he does when he's in, in, a, in a southpaw, and just get out of there. Maruti didn't throw any, try and throw any left hooks to try and cut off the ring, which you really need to do against somebody, especially against a southpaw like that, who you know he's going to pivot out on his right. So he was able to spin out quite consistently. Um, so yeah, frustrating for me in 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 that sense. He, he was doing a much better job when John Riel Casimiro was moving around the ring back in South Africa years ago. You know that 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 was somebody who was significantly younger. You know, Maruti was a lot younger then, but he was he was just far more active, threw more punches. was was more nimble on his feet was cutting off the ring a lot better as well but they must have anticipated this in watching preparation videos you know charlie edwards is a horrible mover and he's an arm puncher there's no there's no power punches there he's slapping with his you know with his right hooks as well um this you you not know, so you're not going to be you're not going to be you're not going to be significantly hurt so you can take risks but when you're when you're redacting your volume, and you're not and you're not implementing the correct countermeasures against a a back foot mover, a lateral mover, uh, that that was one of the reasons why you know I thought fuck this, I'm not going to watch this. You know, we knew Edwards weren't going to engage. This is going to be Demetrius Andrade version two, but more painful to watch. Because uh, and and the rather at least you know does, <clears throat> does have a little bit of pop in his punches, but Edwards doesn't, he's an arm puncher. And when you've got three judges, you've got a British referee Howard Foster, British promoter when you're fighting in Britain. Every every conceivable element is against you in this favour. Howard Foster didn't allow any infighting when they were actually close, breaking it up. And we know that, you know, he's, he's, he's been always the go-to referee for all of these fights, you know, for for all of the Carl Froch, disgusting fights. Him and and Ian, John Lewis, those two fighters, they're, they're subservient to their masters. And that is the promoter and, and, No doubt about it. Frank Warren said to to Howard Foster, "You know, as as soon as there's no distance, significant distance between the two, just you know, Roberto Rosario Jr. Man, maybe we should have called fucking should have played the B boys intro again. But um, (laughs) I don't know. Officially, I to me, old ah, this is just not boxing, man. It's no." inclination of engaging and fighting but that was what we he was going to do so there's no no surprise element there i thought maruti would fight better but he 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 fought the the, the total wrong game plan and it's self-inflicted for me you cannot you cannot blame the judges you know they're going to be 100% biased when when i left after 5 6 rounds i told what did i say i said he's going to get ud one nineteen o nine one twenty whatever it's gonna be something like that. I'm not surprised, you know um, but yeah that that's really that's my really sort of high level overview of you know what what transpired in the void,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, corruption giving some. Some excellent blows up and down, like he's always doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it—it really—it was—it was boring to see. I mean, we we knew what type of fight it's gonna be, but uh, maybe I don't know. I was, I mean, uh, I wasn't really doing any analysis of how would it go, but I was kind of expecting. Mutlani to, to prevail and uh, probably not not, not go uh, stop him, but go to distance and get trapped. That's what I thought is going to happen, but I was expecting that kind of fight. So yeah, man, uh, didn't really enjoy it, but it is what it is now. Have you seen, um, do you want to talk about Emmanuel Navarrete versus Christopher Diaz?
1: Now you you can go ahead. I didn't didn't see that file in its entirety.
0: Okay, because because I took a lot of notes that I'm going to read about uh, this card. So okay, I'm gonna go with Mavarette Diaz. Um, okay, so Navarrete he would exchange, uh, he would engage in an exchange, disengage, and let Diaz step out. Then Navarrete would start taking a really slow step forward with his lead foot, looking as he would uh, need to take three or four steps just to get into Diaz's range. But thanks to his height and his very long limbs. And uh, well, his proclivities for for surprising his opponents uh, jumping uh, from out of range with with some crazy unexpected punches. At the last moment, he would take a really long step and would throw long jab, you know like uh, one to ones and things like that where he's he was able to surprise Diaz from the opening round as he's doing with with his other opponents you know uh, making it look like he's uh, he's uh, very well out of range and then jumping take take this huge step in and then uh, catch you with something and uh, from there he would follow up with overhead right and uh, then lean to his left place his left hooks left uppercuts I mean uh, there are this was the first time I was I was watching his fight and really analyzing what what he was doing and uh, he's definitely a beast but there are a lot of things that could be exploit exploited when it comes to fighting navarete and i thought that diaz uh, showed us some of those things but to to get back to to navarete and his other proclivities he another thing that, that he's doing is that he sleeps on the inside of a jab and uh, while he's sleeping your jab to the inside, he feints an overhand counter, but actually counter you with a lead left uppercut or left hook instead. So those are really uh, some really creative combos, you know, punches, counter, uh, some some unpredictable counters. And uh, he, he can even do the same thing while leading, you know, feinting an overhand right while he's leaning to his left um placing his uh, his head over his lead uh, lead foot and then catch with with the crazy uppercut things like that um, in fact uh, his style is built around uh, these things circling to his left jumping in from long range with a jab or overhand uh, or overhand right faint while dipping to his uh, to his lead foot that is closer to you and from there he would use his left hand and um, he would even end very often what he would do is he would end up off in an off balance position but even despite being in an off balance position he's able to to counter from there now for sure that can be exploited and it was exploited by diaz to some extent but it's still very unorthodox and hard to time um other things that navarrete likes to do is to to throw the overhand right and uh, uh still end up leading over his lead foot um
1: and uh, can i say one thing yeah See, we're getting a, a lot of these fighters like like navarrete and uh, Demetrius Andrade and, and and Terence Crawford as well. A lot of them are actually a lot of them are actually lead hand heavy. We know that Andrade is a right-handed southpaw, so his power punching is his right hand, his wide right uppercut, his hooks and his jab. And with Navarrete, he's very lead hand dominant, but in an orthodox stance. But he can switch hence the reason why he's throwing those lead uppercuts. Very unorthodox fighter, throwing those lead hard uppercuts, those left hands to the body, which are very, very damaging shots. But Diaz was circling in the wrong direction, and hence he was getting picked off with the uppercut. And we see what Liam Smith was doing. Sorry, Liam Williams. He was taking – he was getting lead – foot advantage on the outside of a southpaw, which is the correct thing to do to negate to, to negate Andrade's you know, his jab to open up Liam's right hand, but then Andrade Liam maybe not realizing that Andrade's lead hand is actually his, his heaviest hand he would take a step to the right so he could actually fly that uppercut so we, and with Crawford we see that he switches to southpaw because his right hand is his is his more dominant hand, so he's able to almost fence and keep people at distance, and fire hard punches without a lot of talk. Sometimes with his lead hand, which some people don't don't really gauge. They're thinking that he's, his back backhand is going to be the harder punch from the southpaw. So
0: yeah, you
1: get that. You get that imminent sort of confusion. You don't know what's going to be, you know, which artillery is going to be the the heavier you're going to have to avoid so with 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 Navarrete, given that he's unorthodox as it is so he's kind of hard to read and gauge but when he does that he he tends to fire that uppercut from so far away he's not even getting in close when he's doing it so he's firing it from range and he takes a really weird stance he, he tends to like dip down with his back knee uh, completely, it is it is it is a crazy position it's a non-textbook how he fires it but good instincts to actually land it he knows he can sort of calculate the range in which he has to and the angle as well and he always comes back with that short right hook as well, right hand sometimes straight right hand yeah quite a very 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 anti-mexican style of fighting Yeah, very bizarre unique and uh you know, we we, we tend to criticise, you know, Isaac Dogbe in those two fights, but a lot of people at the time didn't quite really understand that, you know, Navarrete would would turn out to be a very good sort of dominant champion. But even even if you if you just extrapolate certain parts of those two fights, certainly in the first fight, Isaac Dogbe did a hell of a lot better than all of these guys have done subsequent. He actually hurt Navarrete quite a few times before in the first fight. There was moments in which Dogbe could have actually inflicted a knockdown as well. He's a brawler, likes to get on people's chest, and sometimes it's not a bad style because, you know, Navarrete will engage. But he he can, if, he, if he's having difficulty sometimes against a smaller fighter, that's when he sometimes resorts to using movements. And that's where he, he, he fires that lead left hand then sort of moves so he can stick and move just as well. And his power doesn't seem to sap when he's actually on the move. And there's very few fighters out there who can actually generate just as much power with their feet, when they're not actually sitting down on their punches and, and frying punches at weird angles. He's a yeah, he's he, he's a He's a puzzle box that you gotta to have to the conundrum that you're gonna to have to solve. Now Louis Neri did it very very early on, but that was a completely Neri back then. And the different Navaretto didn't really have the seasoning of good opposition. Um but Diaz yeah. wasn't too bad in this fight. He, he he lost his obviously a world championship fight against the you know, the Japanese fighter Ito who didn't who didn't have a lot of versatility in his punches or his combinations, a little bit too reliant on an overhand right hand, which was landing quite a lot. Sometimes, you know, Ito wouldn't even, wouldn't even jab and abandon the jab as well. Just be looking for lead power hands, but his timing was just right in in that fight. And he, he did a good look. He did a lot of good things in this fight as well. Good combinations. Um, show that Navarrete's defence certainly from his forearms and on the way down he doesn't protect his body that well and you you can definitely you can definitely pick him off with some nice feints he was doing feints and then landing to the body some nice combinations Um, but you're going to get those opportunities against an attacking fighter who's always looking to to come straight back at you with a counter. He's not running like Sonny Edwards gone straight away. He's he's there. He's more than happy and he wants to you know, he wants to trade exchange and, and ultimately he wants to knock you out if he can do so. So you're gonna get you're gonna get opportunities and you're gonna get some great exchanges and certain parts of this fight it was it was decent. He has showed great spirit as well. Um, getting up from some vicious knockdown something like that lead what round was that lead uppercut
0: uh fourth round.
1: fourth round yeah yeah like a jack in the box he just sort of springs from
0: nowhere <laughs> yeah and uh, speaking of uh navarrete's uh, unorthodoxy uh he, he, oh, what I saw him doing a cup more than once in this fight against diaz uh, was that uh, he would jump with an overhand right from the outside, end up in a southpaw stance, switching his yeah. stance at short range, end up at short range and as a southpaw, then would create uh, the create room with, with that right elbow after throwing that overhand right and uh, pushing back. Just to to make enough room for his left hook from the from the southpaw stance, and then would get out. Really, a lot of crazy things that that he's doing, and he that is it,
1: official. It's mm-hmm. is that is that improvisation where he where he when he when he generates and he, and he he he'll get off balance. But once he's off balance, he'll just. Rather than go back and be telegraphed, he'll just carry on that momentum because he's yeah. comfortable from the other fans. So yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that that is that is actually quite a nice attacking move. He's thinking, "The fuck it, man! Let me just sort of spin round into the other position and then come straight back with a punch." So you, so the so Diaz is thinking, "What the fuck is going on here, man?" He sort of spun right around. Um, Rather than trying to understand where he is, he's trying to he's trying to fire his jab, but he's missing because he's he's now in this he's now in a southpaw stance and never comes straight back with his own jab, double jab, but then right hand before Diaz could even reset his feet, thinking that I've got to now shift to the right because he's over there now.
0: Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, just just what you said. Um, instead of going back to his orthodox stance he's just working from there from the south stance so it makes me think and without trying to get too philosophical with uh, Navarrete's awkwardness he seems like uh, a good example of what Bruce Lee would say be like water and uh, what i mean by that he would almost constantly get, to, get into an off balance position while attacking which puts all the fighters at risk but he's prepared for for his opponents trying to attack him while he's being in a such a position so he's already uh, he's uh, he's already he's ready to protect himself and and uh, counter from a such a position or uh, step out or get at another angle, use the offhand. And uh, those are the things that also remind me in some kind of way of uh, John Real Casimero at some point. Although John John Real Casimero is not as unorthodox as Navarrete, but uh, he would do the same thing, get into an off-balance position, and uh, then, uh, you know, just be careful enough not to get hit or... uh, to to know what to do while he's in a, such a position,
1: the fighter um, who does that a lot, swing himself off balance, and then is Israel Madrimov. He does that a lot. Yeah, and then, and then fire from the opposite position because he's he's loading up so heavily, <laughs> swinging himself, <laughs> swinging him off like he's stoned, swinging him off in circles, and then coming back in the other stance. And carrying on leaping in with hooks. He's yeah. Can you imagine the fight if they were at the same weight? (laughs) Madrimov and (laughs) Navaret. Oh
0: yeah. That would
1: be a that would be an insane fight.
0: (laughs) Indeed and um, you you made a lot of great points about diaz looking in my opinion uh, yeah on the scorecard scoring it round by round uh, i would say navarrete probably won most of the rounds i was not really keeping a score but it's only because those rounds were diaz was uh, being a better fighter he got knocked down in many of those because the, 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 there were a couple of knockdowns, not, not just one single knockdown. And uh, just like you mentioned, the, the body shots—he was doing a great job. And uh, here I, I, I took a lot, a, a lot of notes of what Diaz was doing effectively, not to the point of uh, being able to win the fight, but just uh, showing you of what you can do against Navarrete. So. I would say they gifted,
1: they gifted they gifted Navarrete a TKO, no, just to keep him, yeah, him.
0: it was it, such a I mean I don't know what the fuck was happening with the referees that night. But yeah, it was it it was a gift KO, gift KO. Uh, just uh, just especially it was the case uh, with uh, Berlanga and Nicholson. But to get back to Diaz, he was catching him with some really good counter left hooks. When Navarrete was looking to step in from a long range with the lead left hook or a lead left hand lead uppercut, uh, often often thrown behind that overhand right feint. Now Christopher Diaz was pulling his head over his rear foot as he was throwing those left hook counters in order to 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 evade uh, Navarrete's left hook and uppercut. So he was. He was doing a good job of, you know, um, okay, uh, later Navarrete adapted even to it, but he was doing a good thing of, you know, uh, ju- just like with the clip I saw, I, I, sh- I was showing uh, in the exchange in between um, Golovkin and uh, Dervianchenko, both of them throwing a left hook. Both of them throwing the uh, left hook, but, but Golovkin being the one who who, as he's throwing his left hook he's placing his upper body from his lead foot over back to his rear foot and so it was the same tactic with which Diaz was able to counter Navarrete without being counter himself but Navarrete showed that he could adapt to it so he started fainting those uh, lead left hooks and uppercuts waiting to Diaz to throw counter and pull his head back over and then step in and counter uh, Navarrete's, uh, Diaz's counter. Diaz then started keeping him off balance by using constant Lateral movement from the fourth round on, and in the meantime, finding room for a jab to the body, which was very constant, and the jab to the body was uh, was very good. And I would say he he depleted um, Navarrete's stamina to to some point, and that lateral movement and stepping out of range every time uh, Navarrete was stepping in his range were making it much hard uh, much harder for Nav- Navarrete's uh, offense. to to, to land and Diaz would throw a jab stepping to the left to provoke the overhand right counter from Navarrete and then would time it, you know, uh, slip and time it, counter it, come back over with it. He would also throw body shots, combos up and down, starting to the body and ending up um, landing a left hook to to Navarrete's head. So there were were a lot of things that I saw from uh, Diaz. That could be useful for uh, for for the future opponents of Navarrete. I also, so Diaz giving him problems moving forward using the upper body movement and blocking and being compact and placing shots to the body, just like you said, uh, a lot of left left hooks to the body. Unfortunately, in that fourth round, he he got dropped, but I felt like he was definitely winning that round, and uh, he. Uh, Another thing that Diaz was working, uh, doing well was countering in combos while he was pressuring Navarrete. So I felt like uh, being an aggressive counter puncher, stacking Navarrete while um, being, uh, being compact, you know, without getting off balance because uh, being um, coming forward counter puncher and pressure fighter against Navarrete and staying on balance all the time um, gives you the opportunity to to counter at a split second when, when Navarrete finishes off balance as he's always doing. So that was um, Another thing that that he was doing well, uh, and to say finally about this great, fight, this
1: great th- points, man! Very, very great, excellent points.
0: Thank you. Um, and uh, despite being visibly outpunished and dropped, not only in the fourth but off also twice. Uh, I mean, in the seventh round and twice in the eighth round before finally being stopped. In the 12, Diaz's offense was finding some success and showed me a lot about how to beat him by inching towards Navarrete and staying on balance all the time. Just like I said, thus being able to throw punches at any moment instead of bouncing around. He was catching him at those moments where where uh, Navarrete would get off balance and sometimes would follow it up with the double or triple jab to keep him that way, to keep him off balance. After countering him with some hard shot, he would come back with double and triple jabs to to, to keep him off balance, unable to, to get back to... To a balanced position, you know, uh, before throwing other punches. But being that he was taking a lot of punishment in the process from a much bigger opponent, he wasn't able to, mm-hmm. to stop him all the time, so he spent a good portion of those rounds on the back foot as well, moving around and uh, trying to disengage from a Navarrete. Uh, however, he was constantly la- landing the body punches, which made uh, Navarrete slow down in the third quarter of the fight. and. Uh, took out some of his explosiveness. That's the way I saw the fight.
1: That's what you've described and what I described before. I think that's the deficiencies and the the vulnerability of Navret, perhaps instead of prognosticating how to beat him, it's it's when he's stepping in, he's able to get countered and he's able to get countered to the body Isaac Dobbe was able to land those body punches, and we showed it was having an effect, and Diaz's punches definitely slowed him down, made him forced to reset. When he's actually using his length and his reach and and his explosiveness from sort of mid-range without stepping in, that's when he's a little bit more effective because it's unorthodox, you're not expecting it. Plus, he he has the, the wingspan to do it. But when he's stepping in, he looks uncomfortable, ungamely, and hence he's more susceptible to those punches. So I think like a like a, a counter-punching body puncher, somebody like a, a Noyo Inui, that style I think he would give and that fight could be feasible because it they're only a weight category well, two weight categories, different, but it's it's a possible, you know, dream sort of fight. But
0: Inui has that
1: has that style to the body, and he lands those countless to the body. And ex- Inui has that explosiveness and speed to do it as well. Boom, 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 you know, without without the sort of a little bit of telegraphing that that because Diaz plays around with his guards, he tends to flick his gloves, so you know where the punches are going to come a little bit. It doesn't have that that velocity, you know, straight from head to body, which the monster does, and and that that's what L- Lewis Neri had very early on as well, that explosiveness and speed, especially to the body. It's that sort of style, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, great point, uh, and uh, just like you said. Uh, Inoue has uh, just has that uh, that thing that uh, we were mentioning that would uh, really trouble Navarrete. But uh, ju- just a quick correction. So, Duck in the chat room. He's right. Uh, it was corner who stopped it. So, yeah, we we must have mixed it up with uh, with Berlanga Nicholson. Only
1: only only the referee can stop the fight. You know, so it doesn't matter what the corner do. They even oh, if great. they even
0: if
1: even if even if they. Unless they throw in the towel, but it's the referee who ultimately has to stop
0: the fights. And that...
1: See, so does not matter
0: about the corner. Oh, that, that's something that I was not aware of. That that's a very very interesting point. But but, but I would say me myself, I was uh, I think uh, I was probably thinking about uh, the Berlanga Nicholson stoppage. Now, do, do you have anything to say about that fight?
1: barlanger and the Nicholson fight. Um, yeah. Um, now, my, my... I saw certain elements of... I mean, I saw certain bits of the fight. Now, Nicholson, his record was very superficial for me. It indicated, you know, a high knockout percentage, but watching him in the ring, he wasn't a heavy-handed fighter at all. But he was busting Berlanga up. He showed him to be sort of a one-dimensional, one-dimensional puncher from sort of mid-range. I wasn't impressed uh, with Berlanga. In the fight at all, you know. Nicholson actually was was. He had a good game plan, and um, sh- But Langer is heavy. There's no doubt about it. You can you can hear the fud on these punches, so definitely is a heavy handed, a heavy handed puncher when you when your promoters are utilizing you and now marketing off your name in the sense of a gimmick, and he's getting embroiled and his ego is getting boosted with with all of these knockouts. And we know knockouts that attracts casual fans, and it's a great way for the promoter to put him on these cards, and he's getting a lot of publicity and And we mentioned last week that um he now feels that he's a pound-for-pound top-ten fighter <laughs> by virtue of all these early 16 first-round knockouts, whatever it is. So he can see it could be just talk or ego, whatever. He's been media-trained to do it like that. We know ESPN, the the, the machine behind them, and a lot of casuals are, are starting to tune in, etc. So it's, it's great for ESPN. You know, great for the crowds that they can see exciting you know, first round knockouts and it kind of builds builds up to the main event as well because you don't really sometimes you don't really want a lethargic, boring undercard fight so you want some, if it's swift quickly, so you can get to the main event so people don't mind that at all so it, it's a good tool to have for these guys but um but the fight, you, you go ahead with the fight. I, I didn't see all of the fight.
0: Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, uh, certainly a great thing for top rank, you know, to, to, to have such a fighter, you know, to bring some excitement. But... Uh, uh, those type of fighters are not really developed the right way. But be, uh, just just before going in, I have to issue another correction because I'm I'm fucking off. I don't know what's what's fucking happening with me because um, <laughs> I said that um, because I was I was watching the fight without any sound. Because you know me, I cannot sta- stand these commentators. So I haven't realized that when the referee waved off, it was to signal the end of the round. So I was not able to hear the bell because I was list- uh, watching the fight without any sound on. So I thought that uh, that uh, that Nicholson bid the count and then uh, referee letting continue and then uh, change his... Uh, his um, his decision but no I, I was wrong so but but to get into the fight this was actually my, my first time seeing edgar berlanga fight so the way he he throws his punches especially his chopping right hand by putting hundred percent of his body weight behind it told me everything why everybody's talking about his punching power and just like you said uh you can simply hear that uh, but by, by, by the way his punches sound that he's a very hard puncher, but um, the way he's throwing his punches told me also why, um, I mean, sorry, uh, let me correct myself. It seemed very telegraphed and very predictable to me. Um, Now, the problem is his combos are to me, kind of too robotic, telegraphed, and too predictable to read, uh, which may be corrected. Uh, He's only 23 years old, uh, with more fights like this, instead of uh, knocking all these guys in the first round, he may work on it, also in the gym as well. Uh, also, but also when he throws his uh, his uh, overhand right, he's constantly ending off balance with his head, ending far in front of his lead uh, lead knee, and he needs the room to throw his punches. And that is why the the uh, Nicholson was able to win most of the exchanges on the inside throughout their fight, whenever he was able to get on the inside. But not only that. Edgar needs the room for his combos but he also needs his opponents to be stationary in order to land his combos because Berlanga himself not only needs to plant his feet to throw the combos but also needs to throw him from from the same range uh, which is the mid-range Uh, And the Nicholson lateral movement was also preventing him to set his feet. Uh, There were many moments where Berlanga would stop at uh, mid-range and start throwing combos, but Nicholson would step in or out of range and make him miss. So that as well, you know, being at mid-range and then stepping out of range also makes him miss because when he started his combos, uh, he sat in one, one same position, you know. But the problem with Nicholson is that he wasn't uh, constantly stepping back in with counters, but uh, s- spent a lot of time on the outside. Probably because he was too worried about about his power, which is uh, which is uh, great indeed, and um, so he was he wasn't willing to to risk uh, getting clipped mid range too much on his way uh, to the inside. Uh, when Nicholson was getting on the inside, he was doing uh, so right behind the, his straight punches, you know uh, through a jab or straight right and then uh, duck underneath and step uh, step in front of him, you know shoulder to shoulder and get then uh, get to an angle. The first knockdown occurred in the second round when Nicholson made a pause after moving laterally to lead with his right hand, but he found himself in a very terrible of pa- balance position while doing so with his whole upper body leaning over his lead knee. And he was intending to weave to the angle on his right to change the angle after that right hand Lead right, but Berlanga he had an excellent answer and uh, he caught him, he clipped him with a uh, with, uh, with left hook and that dropped him. Um, now, the good things that about Berlanga, I saw him that. Hold on, there are notes that they took. A couple of good things that he, he, he could improve uh, the notions of the upper body movement rolling with punches, pulling his head over his back foot to make the opponent miss, pulling his head over the back foot when throwing a left hook, kind of the same thing that Diaz was doing against uh, Navarrete. And uh, he was also doing something that Loma is doing, slapping uh, slapping a guard down and punching with the other hand. And uh, the point is... Uh, there is a possibility we see him improve further some of those skills or that he's already working with them uh, on them in the gym, you know. So I would not be surprised if, if he is able to, to improve those things and become a better fighter. Now... I have to shit shit on the ref. The second knockdown was bullshit as Berlanga was pushing Nicholson's neck down while hitting him with two left hands clearly to the back, you know, to to the back of Nicholson because uh, dropping him by pushing him down behind his neck. And, um, yeah, I wanted also to, to mention the stoppage, but it wasn't a stoppage. So, basically yeah berlanga showed that uh, for now at least he's a very limited fighter and that he has a lot of things to improve but I saw those couple of things that uh, seem to me as if he he's already working on them but that uh, need to be polished so I would not be I would not be you know surprised if he's able to to improve some uh, some parts of his game now. I just want to quickly mention two, two more fights from this card. Uh, the Puerto Rican talent, Xander Zayas, was um, fighting De- uh, Demarcus Layton. He's only 18 years old. And um, his performance kind of reminded me of uh, the way Ortiz was fighting against Hooker, uh, starting overly aggressive, operating behind a high guard, and uh, trying to, to use the distance control before, uh, you know, stepping in uh, Leighton's range. Now, in this fight, he was getting hit once he he got on the inside. He got hit with uh, with some counters, and uh, his punches seemed telegraphed. But he showed some hand speed, and uh, I was not really impressed with his movement, uh, with with, uh, his boxing, but uh, I liked his movement. I thought that um, his thing would be his footwork in the future, you know, improving his distance control in and out movement. So if that's his style, I'm uh, well looking forward to to see more of him. Uh, so it was a quick first round stoppage. Uh, mm, there's not a lot to talk about the fight, but yeah, I'll just, I'll be looking forward to this to next fight. But to me, the best fight on the card, was a fight between two prospects, uh, Joseph Adorno and Germain uh, Ortiz. Uh, both of them were uh, undefeated fighters, so with Adorno being 40, 14-0 and one draw, and uh, Ortiz being 14-0-0 before the fight which is a type of fight that we rarely get to see nowadays. And that I was uh, extremely glad to watch because it was the best fight of the weekend, in my opinion, like I said. And uh, all of that despite being an eight-rounder, a really great fight to watch. Uh, Watching it live, I thought that Jermaine Ortiz should have edged it out despite getting dropped multiple times, two times. But uh, now, once I rewatched it, I, I had it a draw, but uh, the point with uh, with this fight is that uh, it was an excellent fight, and Ortiz was um, a swarmer uh, coming forward, and um, Adorno was a counter puncher. A lot of good things uh, that I saw in this fight, and so it was very entertaining, an eight-rounder. Uh, other than that, have you seen uh, Kenshiro Teraji's fight or uh, Daigo Higa versus Nishida? No, I haven't seen Yeah, so... Uh, Ryosuke Nishida, he's... Uh, I think that he was uh, 4-0, if I'm not wrong, something like that. Uh, he's a prospect, and Daigo Higa, who, if I'm not wrong, uh, the reason he's fighting at weight is because uh, because he missed the weight, and the, the, the rule in Japan is uh, the Japanese commission is preventing him to fight at his natural weight because he, he missed the weight, so so he had to move up to 118. And um, I always liked Higa a lot, very extremely entertaining and explosive fighter, but the problem with him is that he's not very creative when it gets to coming on the inside. He He's not really able to, to step to the inside behind his jab. Not uh, He doesn't have a lot of tricks, in my opinion, to step on the inside. But from the very yeah. first round, um, Nishida, Uh, he was staying out of range and he was showing serious calmness against uh, much more experienced pressure fighters such as Higa and uh, he was keeping him at the end of his jab and even keeping it extended Uh, what's the the name for it? He was arm stiffing Higa and uh, preventing him to get closer so at the beginning of the fight he was fighting him at that long range with uh, a lot of pivots because Nishidi is a southpaw uh, much longer than uh, then Higa keeping him out of range and uh, doing a lot of good things with um, with his footwork pivoting around uh, every time um, Higa would step in and timing him on his vein with uh, with those pivots but also Catching him with check hooks and straight left counters. Uh, Now, the thing that I didn't like is that uh, Nishida was uh, at one point he started he really started arm stiffing and clinching too much. Uh, Really like too much in uh, for for my liking. But uh, the later stage of the fight uh, turned out into nonstop exchanges on. on the inside and at mid range where uh, uh, Nishida was doing very well, you know, and his body punching was very good, uppercuts to the body. Um, so it was it was a very good performance, you know. So I will be looking forward to to seeing Nishida Nishida back in the ring. It's but, kind of
1: it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Bishop, that we've got a, a situation in boxing where The boxing public generally criticizes so many fighters for being weight bullies cutting significant weight and then rehydrating massively so they can take advantage of their natural bigger size than their opponent we see Mm -hmm. that in every weight class but with heger it's the opposite he's he's fighting at a weight category where he really shouldn't be and now bigger fighters who are naturally cutting down to make the size of where he's had to jump up two weights have that numerical advantage over him. Exactly. You, you kind of feel sorry for him, you have a little bit of sympathy for him, thinking that he need to go back to maybe needs to go back to fly weight where he was because now we're seeing that as a one dimensional power puncher, he doesn't have those educated feet. Lack of creativity, so it, it kind of homogenous in what he tends to do. The, the one element where he actually showed a bit of a bit of guile against a against a, a, a fighter who could move is when he won the title against Juan Hernandez Navaret, a guy who a guy who could move around. He was a little bit better back then, but um, against a southpaw, he can move. Um, No, it it, it, it didn't really show a great deal of versatility. But I saw, you know, you sent me the fight. I saw little bits of it. uh, I've just had a horrendous week. As you can see, I haven't watched a lot of fights. Uh, something I need to go back to and and watch in its entirety, definitely.
0: Yeah, but... uh, Sorry? Back to you. Ah, okay. Yeah, but j- just, uh, yeah, so watch uh, watch Nishida's future fights. I mean, uh, keep an eye on him. Mm, that's what I wanted to say because I will do so. But uh, Kinshiro Teraji was back against Tetsuya, and he, uh, Tetsuya Hisada. Now, yeah, fight that uh, neither one of us was very excited about but uh i guess ken Shiro coming back after a long layoff i would say the last time he fought was in 2019 if i'm not wrong maybe i, I or maybe a, i'm correct
1: a suspension he, he was caught drink driving in in japan
0: oh. and, then, and they yeah and they yeah yeah, I yeah, okay. yeah 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 you're right you're right i read about it Now, in the first uh, round of the fight, uh, Teraji was getting hit with hooks around the guard while trying to control the distance and move laterally. Teraji was constantly controlling the distance and using his rhythm rocking back and forth to throw his jab, which he was constantly pumping towards Hisada's face. And already in the second round, he baited Hisada to throw a jab, which he timed with the jab, and came back with uh, with the overhand right which dropped his Sada. and um, he was you know boxing in the first gear for a well for for a big amount of, of this fight but I was not really so impressed because or in the fourth round already he got caught with with uh, the same exact combination and his defense to me was looking really poorly Um uh, he, he spent a big amount of fight um, just uh, jabbing, drawing uh, some right hand right hand counters, but uh, wasn't really impressive. And um, After that, it's uh, around the, the, at the middle of the fight, he, he started slowly opening up more and more and throwing combos instead of just uh, pumping a jab and uh, setting his sada for for the rear right hand but at the same time he was getting hit a lot now he was winning most of the of the rounds and um, i cannot exactly recall of um, of all of the Kenshiro's tendencies from his previous fights because I haven't seen him in a long time. But I saw that in the fifth round when he started planting his feet and staying in the range during the exchanges, he was getting hit cleanly with his other combos and he was getting his head snapped by jabs. And uh, I at least uh, remember seeing him having a better defense and upper body movement in the in the pocket in his previous fights, but judging from what I saw in this fight, it told me his defense was his footwork, and he was too open up whenever whenever he decided to stay in the pocket and exchange. So in the exchanges, he was not looking very good defensively. Uh, at least uh, up till the, the later stages of the fight. Uh, even in the sixth round, Kenshiro, he was landing good punches and was able to counter his other with clean punches multiple times and uh, placed really great body shots. Uh started uh, getting his timing down uh so good uh, throwing good good combos on the move in the pocket but he was still getting hit cleanly when he he was stationary and allowing hisada to throw combos at him because uh, whenever hisada was coming in with multiple punches with combos uh, some of them would very often get uh, W- would land on him cleanly and uh, don't get me wrong kenshiro was probably winning most of the rounds uh, but in my opinion he wasn't looking that great but from the eighth round on kenshiro seemed to finally get in the rhythm and uh, he was looking great stepping out of range on his Sada's punches and coming back with counters and switching games or slipping to the inside and countering with, uh, with combos be, before getting out. This was the moment that he finally started looking really good in this fight, but he was still getting hit with some clean and powerful punches in the process, but at least uh, he seemed like uh, being in, uh, in a second or third gear. At least in the in uh, the the last third of the fight, his offense was looking much much better. So I don't know if it was about it was probably the ring rust, I would say. So I would expect him to to get better. But overall, uh, he showed me the, the glimpses of what he can do, especially in the the last third um, last third of the fight. But previous to that, he was looking really. I don't know, really bland. His, offense, uh, his defense was looking not so good to me. Um, now, before before uh, mentioning something interesting about Kazuto Yoka, uh, oh, in fact, who gives a fuck about uh, Leharaga and uh, Jeff Smith White? Uh, yeah, Kazuto Yoka. Uh, first, it was reported that uh, he tested positive... For uh, marijuana uh, around the time of fighting, uh, fighting, uh, what's his name? The guy that, that he just fought, man, uh, Tanaka, Tanaka. But later it came out that it looks like, I, I wasn't really closely following the situation, but that there there may be some other substances illegal substances that uh, that he was maybe using allegedly so i'll keep an eye on it other than that uh, i have um, nothing much else to say
1: I wasn't even aware of Yoka's test results and the time taken to actually publish them, release them into the domain. That's a report I'll be actually keen to obtain and have a look at for myself.
0: Yeah, that's in fact a good point because I was asking myself the same thing. Why would those results come out just now? Uh, what's that more than five months, I mean five months after uh, after that fight, so it's really weird what's happening <laughs> and the uh, funny thing Ioka was already questioned by, by the Japanese police because of the alleged use of marijuana
1: and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he, 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 he's had, he's always had a love if not more a more of a hate relationship not only with the community but there's members of parliament as well there there are many over in japan who who wanted to shorten his career years years ago there was times in which they were even going to revoke his boxing license so sure. that turbulence doesn't surprise me it could even be a smear campaign against him to try and further you know Desecrate his credibility and his reputation. Um, he's he's kind of that that sort of rock star over there, you know, crazy man.
0: Um,
1: which is, you know, given the idiosyncrasies over there. But I don't know officially. Sure, as I said, uh, for reports like this, I always like to look at the the original source material if I can, and 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 look at the the results and the percentages, if they were available, to deduce my own conclusions. Um, For sure. Yeah, if, if the result hasn't been annulled or retrospectively modified, and I, I, I don't think it's gonna be anything. anything, yeah,
0: but, but, anything but, to... Sorry, sorry, go on.
1: Because the B sample would have been tested if we don't even know whether this, these findings were drawn from just the A sample Or the B sample. I've heard nothing personally, but I've not really been following the news over there recently, so I don't I don't know, but they wouldn't be releasing any 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 statements. Yeah prior to to the you know prior to the B sample actually being tested, or he if he felt that there was any 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 negative information then he would have requested himself for them to actually test the B sample just to see whether it was a false positive or whether there could be a replication and therefore there would be sufficient evidence for the for the uh, drug testing agencies to then make whatever findings but I don't know, you know, marijuana. Yeah you know, if if I had a drug test now I ain't gonna pass it so we look at
0: yeah exactly and uh yeah by the way just like you said i mean uh, we don't have enough of informations to, to to know all the details and uh just like you said it's best to draw your own uh, conclusion to f- you have to be able to to see everything to know all the details and uh, see if the b sample was actually um tested before drawing drawing your conclusion but there is an important thing that I almost forgot to mention. The thing is, there the, the, there is some problem with with the way the the test was taken. So, in the same same article that I was reading a couple of days ago, uh, it looks like um, the people or the commission or I don't know who who, who took the the samples. Did something stupid, some stupid error. I don't know exactly what what is it about, but the way they took it, it was not uh, professional, not uh, not by. It was not done the right way, the right they were supposed to do it. So even uh, even a positive test wouldn't. Uh, they're saying that even uh, even a positive test. Would probably not matter in the situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Then it's then it's prone to contamination because with uh, a lot of these urine samples, that the uh, the mechanisms and the bottles come actually directly from there's two places from Germany and from Switzerland. So they so they can't actually be tampered or reopened um, once they're sort of locked officially. Um so so if the, if there's been some sort of errors in the whole methodology of, of taking taking and taking and storing it and then analyzing it, then, yeah, they can't really be making these statements about what 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 um, what they found. Um, but the, if the, they would have actually have divided the sample into two. So they, so if it's affected the A and the B, then I don't know. I'm gonna to have to send me the article when you have. I, I, I need to have a look at it and get in, uh, find out exactly yeah. what's going on.
0: Yeah, for sure, I'll do it. Uh, I'll check. In fact, I'll che- mm-hmm. check. check- the well. article? Was it one of the official
1: publications there, or was it the, an independent journalist?
0: Uh, the thing is, I'm I'm not sure about it. Uh, I I think it was uh, a journalist. Uh, I got that link from uh, Asian Boxing uh, on Twitter, so I, okay. I think it was a, a link to to. Well, it was some journalist work. I think so. I'm not sure about it, but uh, I'll send it to you later for sure. Yeah, but look let let the man smoke smoke is really he deserved it yeah he
1: Especially. okay he must have, he must have been on steroids man you're not going to destroy a tanaka like that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but, but no joking. The, the way he performed that fight in that fight uh and you 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 surely heard me many times mentioning it <laughs> over and over again or with how much I was surprised with his sharpness in that fight, <laughs> like never before, <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs>
1: yeah. But he, he definitely looked like somebody who was actually you know, I wouldn't say stoned, but he was just super relaxed. Tanaka oh, yeah. was just, Tanaka just looked so agitated before. You could see the adrenaline was just ravaging his body loved up so early and the yoker just came came in slick back gangster <laughs> big split in the morning <laughs> <laughs> just another day in the office just another yeah. just another victim to slay <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah well, so funny things happening in Japan I'll surely uh, send you the article i'll 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 look it up and I'll send you to send it to you later but yeah I don't know w what, what else is there to talk about i mean um I don't know if you you read my message. I'm not sure if I will be available tomorrow maybe maybe not, but I don't think so so Oh, so yeah. in terms of the, so you mean in terms of the,
1: the fights, from the UK, today I believe, and yeah. the United States.
0: Right, right. Um, Those two cards. Who do we have? Um, Who's on. Um, on the zone, we have uh, Chris Eubank Jr. fighting Morrison. Uh, the return of Dmitry Bivol, but he's fighting Craig Craig Richards. Okay, and, you know, a disappointing opponent. But uh, Katie Taylor v- versus uh Jones, and uh, the main event is See, the, see the Katie Taylor fight could be, could be. The,
1: a competitive fight mm-hmm. but but Katie Taylor just confused me with for me is I, I can I can watch Katie Taylor fight because that that people may revere her as one of the greatest but I, I think she's just one of the most overrated fighters I think I've ever seen man or woman horrible
0: yeah, uh, from, from what I saw, yeah, go on. And with so much protection
1: and insulation from match room and sky sports, oh, yeah. give decisions. I can't watch the. I hope Natasha Jonas knocks her out.
0: Yeah, look, I'm not really following the the women's boxing, but I share your sentiments. I fucking hope uh, Natasha Jones would uh, would win and. Uh, on top of that, beat her up. Because uh, I remember that fight, that rematch between her and uh, I think it was a Norwegian girl that she fought uh, on the undercard of uh, white uh, Povetkin 1. Man, that was a disgusting, disgusting decision, man. And I heard the same thing about the first fight. uh, That's from Belgium. Belgium, yeah, thank you. And I remember you, you know, uh, saying things, uh, about about the three match, about how it was made, uh, her opponent being, being brought up for, for the three match in, uh, while being in a very difficult, tough situation. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck, fuck Eddie Hearn, fuck Katie Taylor, uh. I mean, I don't know. I'm not oh, the, the the main event between Chisora and uh, the Joseph the Mat Lab Parker. I mean, the, wh- wh- what what is, is he saying? The Fatamins Crystal Mat. <laughs> it. Uh, I'm I'm not really interested into this fight, but yeah, I guess yeah. I will watch it for sure. Um, exactly, uh, man. Josie Parker is had showed so
1: much promise when he was an amateur fighter. And when I was watching him back then official, his ability, just a, his combination punching and his body punching, I was very high on him, thinking, Wow, that 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 sort of impetus into the heavyweight ranks would be would be so good to watch. When you've and he has an excellent chin. We know that he's been knocked down, but he's got up and he's actually fought and won the latter half of the fight with with Dillian White. So he he has a very good arsenal of tools that he can rely on both offensively and defensively. But just doesn't put it together. Um, too many too many crazy drugs binges with with his best friend Tyson, and now you know out of the ring, he thinks he's Frank Sinatra. With, Singing and dancing and shit. So, yeah. And against you know Del Boy Chizora, the only guy who can just repeatedly get pay per views after loss after loss. You know, this fight isn't. You know, I mean Eddie Hearn just loves to financially rape the UK public. I feel sorry for all those guys having to having to just keep paying. Keep, keep paying exorbitant amounts, especially at a time in which just look at the retail price index in the UK and around the world and the price of raw materials and everything else and everything in skyrocketing and we're getting two pay-per-views in parallel between the UK and the United States where none of the fighters are pay-per-view fighters. They're not pay-per-view fights. You've got Chris Ariola, a forty year old on the pay-per-view. And let's let's be clear, the only reason why Ariola is fighting because it's against his natural wishes of retirement, is because he owes a, a financial debt to Al Heyman in lieu of the the the, the contract he signed. So many Heyman fighters, Bron for example, as well, a lot of them mm-hmm. are Al Heyman money. That's the only reason why Ariola is on this pay per view.
0: Yeah, man, and, it's
1: and Andy Ruiz—he's a—he's a fat Mexican motherfucker. He betrayed. <laughs> he betrayed the, tu- the trust of all of the the people and the people that travelled to Saudi Arabia with his opaque, lying, lack of discipline. It happens, you know. I mean, if you got twenty million just out of the blue, you know. He went on his he went on his spending rampage and his binge rampage and ill discipline. The same old story we see it in boxing over and over again. Charles Martin, his predecessor in that sense. Then yeah. they have a then they have a, a moment where they're thinking it's about redemption, whatever. Um, your trainer actually sheds light on exactly what happened. Um, you know, you start criticizing your trainer for telling the truth. Now you're a you're a so-called changed man because you're with a new trainer. You've cut a little bit of weight. Who gives a flying fuck about Andy Ruiz? Fuck this this horrible card, you know, horrible card in the UK as well. Would a main event, <laughs> ah, man. So yeah, <laughs> so fuck it, man. Good job, no, good job. You're busy tomorrow
0: because I, I wouldn't be in the mood to do a show. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, look, uh, Andy Ruiz and Ariola. First of all, fucking pay per view. I'm I'm feeling bad for the people in the U.S. I mean, for, for for I'm not feeling bad for. In fact, not feeling bad at all for a retard that would pay that shit. And a sad thing for for Chris Ariola. He he's always been a great a great ba- guy. One of the great guys. In the heavyweight division, the good thing is that he he's coming in at his lightest. His uh, career lightest weight. Uh, he he doesn't even have fat. He he weighed in at uh, two hundred and twenty eight pounds. So and he's saying that he worked a lot uh, during his uh, this training camp on his defense. So. And uh, I'm I'm really hoping that uh, that's really gonna be of use to him in this fight sorry I, um, I I'm hoping that his defense would really be improved in this fight because I felt sad I don't want to, to see him uh, punished and knocked out because I mean uh, I always like Chris Ariola i've i never mm. saw him as a as some really good fighter but and props uh props to him for uh for knocking that uh that other blob i mean for uh for giving a good performance could, could you imagine I mean, could you imagine areola and kazuto ioka with like a an ounce of weed
1: them two would demolish <laughs> it in like five minutes <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Yeah, but um, so he looks to be finally, and I, I don't know what, why was he he waiting for the for the tail end of his career to get in a in a respectable shape, but here it is. Finally, in a, in a looking in a really good shape. I'm just hoping that he doesn't get punished too much. Uh, Ruiz, at least he he looks like um, well. After uh, it looks like that after the first AJ fight, he started eating more. At least now after the, the AJ rematch, it looks like he. He's not pigging out anymore. He dropped down to one fifty-eight, I think. Uh, in fact, I, I don't recall what was his actual weight, but yeah, he he does look lighter. He he lost uh, a lot of fat, but yeah, man, we didn't give a That's the cl- That's the Clint. That's the beautiful baby. Oh yeah, yeah. What else it could be? That's, I mean, that's, that's the fat burner. That's- he's 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 the
1: perfect guinea pig for that drug it's oh yeah designed, it's just designed for his body and all that visceral fat he has so um, yeah
0: yeah not well, not a surprise that he went to to the gym that i mean uh, the the choice of the trainer and of the gym is not really really a surprise. <laughs> he, yeah. He's done well with uh, with uh, Canelo and uh, Julio Cesar Martinez. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good job.
1: Yeah, Rinoso he's gonna be cooking those T-bone steaks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, he, he had a lot of job to 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 do feeding this motherfucker throughout this training camp. But uh, the, just to go back quickly to Chisola Parker, um, and I mean uh, to 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 the whole Eddie Hearn situation, it looks like um, the contract between uh, Sky Sports and Matchroom ended. So. Um, eddie hearn and Matchroom are not gonna be on uh, sky sports anymore except for uh, well for for the contracts that that aj had with uh, with sky sports and maybe another fighter i'm not sure if it's canel or someone else <clears throat> excuse me did i not say that from day one
1: when the zone came into the market with eddie hearn i said it's it's a conflict of interest he has between two parties He's gonna have around. to make a choice, and I, I, I said it all along. Eddie Hen will leave Sky Sports, and he'll pursue the zone straight away.
0: Um, I even think, even think, uh, I heard you saying that re- fairly recently, in the past month or two. I think I, I recall you. I did it on a video.
1: Of- I did it on the video a couple of years ago as well. I think from my other channel, but oh, that, yeah, was yeah. Ine- that was in that was in. To me, it was inevitable he was going to do that, and that's where Sky Sports made massive errors. They were they were supporting the disown proposition, and they were neglecting Sky Sports Boxing and Adam. The officials at Sky Sports were complicit to that. Eddie Hearn was literally using all of the Sky Sports domestic fighters for international zone cards. And that's where I saw the problem being crystallized. And a lot of the UK domestic cards were suffering lack of competitive fights, all their best fighters just being saved for international excursions. What was going to happen? The UK boxing market was just going to become depressed. Calendar dates that were originally scheduled to happen were going to be cut. Getting didn't get reduced boxing content. So it's inevitable. It came down to this crossroads and this threshold. And now Eddie Hearn realizing that Sky Sports not only are they using losing global subscribers because international rights are being bought up by much larger corporations who are coming into the market. We're getting if you you know, Amazon is beginning to buy a lot of packages, and I'm hearing that their coverage of even domestic football over there is so damn good, and they've got the market capitalization just to take Sky and Rupert Murdoch, etc., out of the water. That ain't going to be a problem for them, but their budgets are, be- are reducing. They're losing a lot, of, a hell of a lot of content that that went from BT, that went from Sky Sports to BT. And and being divided, uh, you know, between it, it depends on the, it depends on the deregulation act in the UK Now they don't really like monopolies too much, so they'll try and divide it between different companies. They don't really like these monopolies, so but ultimately it comes down to the size of the bid in football. They tend to bid in the billions, so it's it's a lot of money, so they're not going to wrangle too much. But but the zone's a mistake, and it was always a mistake, was that. What they're doing now is that I think they're going to begin to cut down, cut, pull away from the United States. They're going to tend to focus a lot more in Europe and up and, and Asia, where their largest revenue streams are. The zone should have really have come into the UK before the United States, but we all know that the, yeah. the state just seems to... It's just the, the romantic area. It's the so-called home of boxing. It always has been to a certain extent. So that's the market. Everybody wants to, wants to target. But the United States is finished as a country. I've been saying it for so long. They're, they've, if you could just break down that country, that all of their figures that they've been published for the last 35, 40 years are all literally lies. It's just growth rates, inflation rates, whatever. They're, that's not. It's a, it's a discussion for another channel. But as an economist, I can tell you that all of the indices that they actually use to 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 project all of their economic data is actually false. And I'll do that in another sense. So, the, and boxing is a niche sport as well over It's been reducing so so. It's it's a dead market for me. It's a dead country. It's a dead market. So. Um, so Eddie Hearn now we've used Endeavors with with the Zone and they're restructuring as well. We'll see what happens. But um, I'm not surprised. And it's a good thing as well. If 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 Sky can now start doing if they wanna, that is, if they want to actually go into direct competition with the zone, and they can now have a position where nobody has an exclusivity with with Sky, and that was always their problem. One Eddie Hearn is the only promoter, if any other promoter wants to come on, they have to negotiate directly with Eddie Hearn, not even with Sky Sports directly. So he was always the intermediary as well as the exclusive promoter. So now, so now if they're opening up and they're able to take, that is if they're still interested in boxing, which I, I'm, I'm not sure about, but it does generate... A lot of money you know the uk boxing fans are extremely passionate so i don't see why they should just forsake it and, and and jettison boxing as a whole but if they're able to you know mtk global are doing some good things there are a lot of good independent promoters they can try and help promote they can go back and do what box nation was buying buying rights of international fights try and put them on but the time difference tends to kill kill their market for that it's you, you know no i don't know how many people can keep staying up at four o'clock in the morning it's, it's already getting
0: it's already yeah. difficult
1: yeah it's already difficult on the saturday evening prime time tv with the number of channels available so it's it's a hard nut to crack but for boxing fans you know why not man? Why, just, just leave it as an open platform and just 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 buy and sell whatever fights you can from, I don't care if it's even small promoters, whatever, I don't mind that at all, you know, amateur boxing, go back to that you know, BT was doing, that's why I've always loved the BT sports because they've always shown so much amateur boxing over the years, which I've which I always watched the world championships etc, you know
0: um,
1: I don't know man, but
0: yeah yeah and uh, the i mean there's a, even a possibility that they they may start working with uh, with um, well what's uh, what's the guy's name uh, the other promoter uh, frank warren I, i'm not sure because he's uh, he's doing some moves right now it's been reported that he linked up with uh, i don't remember who but apparently he's getting some financial injection. But the thing is, uh, I thought that he's showing his fights on BT. So I don't know. I don't really understand the situation. I don't know what's happening. But uh, yeah, I mean, at least a good thing that, uh, that he's moving, moving all those fighters, uh, you know, freeing, freeing the room, you know. And... Uh, oh, Um, Another topic, I mean, it's not worth uh, saying much about it as uh, we as a channel, we are not uh, really about uh, the the, the drama and uh, all the bullshit stories. We we are not the TMZ of boxing here. But apparently that Pacquiao was supposed to fight uh, supposed to be in the negotiations with with this fighter from top rank which I I wanted to I was about to make an episode on I was about to to make a breakdown episode on uh, how how to beat him Southpaw versus Southpaw but <laughs> apparently many, many Pacquiao signed the deal uh Crawford didn't sign his deal and uh, after that it came out also that uh, apparently the the Arab Emirates um, the investors were not able to, to come in with money but even before, uh, before that money situation the money problem uh, Pacquiao had no problem signing the fight but Crawford for some reason refused to do so so I don't know that the, the rumor is uh the rumor is uh, he he's gonna end up fighting that uh that guy uh Josecito Lopez, who's not a terrible fighter, but man, I just wanted to say fuck these Walter Weights. They're clowns.
1: See with this with this money Pacchio situation there's been a lot of opinions, and I, I don't think a lot of people understand the the situation in the Philippines and what Mani Bakio is doing as a senator campaigning for president. Philippines is going through not only a lot of you know restructuring and foreign direct investment coming in, but they're simultaneously fighting ISIS. They've been... The government... The the, the president Rodrigo has actually been reaching out to China and Huawei, their massive sort of Apple equivalent corporation, to try and come into the Philippines to develop develop what they call sort of new technological cities, which are, which incorporates surveillance, etc. And they're also very interested in in FDI investment from from the Middle East to sustain the development. So. So what we're seeing as well is that there are different factions and I think our, our friend D- Diego mentioned it a little while ago, there are different factions within the Pacquiao camp who want different things for Manny Pacquiao. So there's a, from my understanding, there's a degree of wrangling and sort of infighting. You've got Manny Pacquiao's own manager, trainer, um, they're looking for one fighter, and then there's a this rumor has it that that the investors are looking for who are building a stadium, they're looking for a fight against somebody else. so very hard to gauge what is going on and with a contract situation when you you know when, when you don't have the original source documents in front of you, it's very hard um, we're not really into this whole sort of speculation. You've got different different media professionals who have a vested interest in different fighters and they have a a different path that they take. Some of them are not independent or impartial. Very hard, very hard to know what, what exactly is going on. But if you know anything about Manny Pacquiao and his, and his career and the level of competition and order that he's achieved, it's kind of hard, kind of hard to criticizing that he's, that he's ducking or he's procrastinating or, whether the the source of funds is what the, the Pacquiao detractors are moaning about that there's been no verif- verification of originator funds but I kind of <laughs> I kind of find that very hard to believe as well. So according to the sources, you know Manny has has, has signed an agreement whether it's an executed or unexecuted, whether it's a draft or whether it's actually a legally binding contract. Hard to know. They, they have the documents, so there's no reason why it, they can't shed further light on, on onto what it is or even, even release it into the public domain. But the split that, from my understanding, what that, that Pacquiao and, and Crawford, I think it's like a four-to-one split, something like that, 40 million Pacquiao, 10 million Crawford. If that is the reports, I don't know. I've not really been following
0: the story. It's just listening to a little yes, bit of and then. Something like that. Yes, it is indeed. 40 millions for Pacquiao and 10 millions for Crawford, which would be more than he ever gained in his career. Yeah. yeah and I, more I, than he is he, he, deserving. Yeah, abs-
1: yeah, absolutely. And uh, Pacquiao, is, is we know that he's also reticent about Fighting in the United States, Las Vegas would be his only territory, due to the the tax situation over in in Vegas. But for somebody who's 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 always had a well, he's had a you know problems with with his tax management situation, and he he obviously wants to reduce his tax burden as well, so it would make sense for him to actually fight in in in, in the Middle East as well, not only to pacify you know he's he's investors because he's thinking about the longevity of his country so he's going to have more of a, a vested interest to listen to what those representatives from the from the UAE are are trying to decree to him because ultimately he wants to carry on that business relationship once he gets it, once he starts campaigning and he becomes the president because he's going to rely on fdi is is crucial for the philippines longevity going forward and I think that's one of the reasons why I think Manny Pat- he voluntarily relinquished his WBA super championship belt. I think that was in a- some sort of an amicable agreement he had with Al Heyman to say that, look, belts really don't matter to me, although maybe I want to be a unified champion, something I haven't done before. But he could fight Spence any time he wants for those unified belts, so having... The WBO belt doesn't really matter. I think he sit at our aim and look fine. I'll I'll, I'll relinquish the belt. Or, or Ugas gets upgraded from his regular to a super. You know the, the WBA never ordered the consolidations. He can't say Pacquiao's ducking anybody, or you don't get you don't release a belt and get and and get awarded. A, a champion in recess stage. And if you if you actually stripped off the belt, you don't get that recess state in which you can fight for the belt anytime you want. So I think it was an amicable agreement. Ugas gets the belt, gets upgraded. Spence can fight Ugas for the third belt. And at the, and in return, Al Heyman will agree to showcase and promote the Manipakia promotional fighters. And he's, from, from my understanding, he's he signed ahead of a lot of fighters from different jurisdictions. Maybe one or two from Mexico and one from Africa as well. So there are a lot. And we're starting to see a lot of these fighters fighting all over the shop. Guy for many, Rodriguez. We saw Jervin Ancahas back. Now. That's why he moved to the PBC as well from top rank. We're seeing uh, another oh, many Pacquiao fighter fighting and fighting and um, fighting um... Uh, Naoya Inu- M- N- o- yeah, anyway, but that's not obviously on the PBC. ESPN has obviously got the the larger budget, so he's gonna have to fight on on there unless it went to a purse bids. I don't I'm not sure if it did but but there's a hell of a lot of fighters. so Manny's also thinking about continuity the next generation. So his interests, his proclivities is not essentially on what he wants, it's what's best for his country in the sense that he, once, he, once he takes over or becomes the president, and also what's next for Manny Pacquiao promotion. So kind of selfless, and it's the right thing to do. But a lot of people are just casting aspersions just on, just on the isolated situation rather than understanding the sort of macroeconomic position of what's going on overall and what he's trying to do. You know both in terms of horizontal and lateral diversification of of the
0: country and his own
1: promotional company
0: yeah absolutely and uh yeah it was uh i i uh you 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 told me a couple of days ago the all about this that uh you 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 were talking right now about Pacquiao reaching an agreement with PBC and uh, uh, Al Hayman to basically give up his belt and uh, instead uh, concentrate on his future, I mean, uh, to his talents who are signed to him to be showcased on PBC shows in, in the US. And uh, that was something that I wasn't thinking of yet makes a lot of sense. It's, it's such a great point, just like the one you
1: <clears throat>
0: you mentioned on a couple of episodes ago when it comes to, to the robbery uh, of uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, who was supposed to, to fight uh, Doni Nietes. Oh, sorry, no, Donnie Nietes, uh, Nonito yeah, so great, great points.
1: Yeah, there's his fighters are starting to get a lot of a lot of political leverage both from Heyman and I guess Heyman wants to pacify Manny to a certain extent. But we don't wanna see that. We don't wanna see his Manny Pacquiao promotional fighters receiving those decisions on the PBC card, which is already racially aligned to pbc fighters as it is getting getting the highly conscious you know dubious decisions but that that's the way al Heyman works if you if you only look at his contractual situations and the terms and conditions that he's brought forward from the days of when he was in the music industry and if you look at his agreement and what the what the fighters have to sign and and, and the revenue and the litigation that is involved if they don't accept those terms and what happens it's It is so punitive. Um, That's that's why the fighters are protected, for that reason, because of those terms and conditions. And there's no exit clause, and they can't. they, They can only arbitrate at certain places in the United States, in Los Angeles, where arbitration always rules in favor of the record company or the promoter, not the artist. So there is no violations. They have very they, they literally have no they have no recourse to challenge those rights so nor can they win any appeals or or win their case and actually walk away from their agreements So that's why these promoters are are, are controlling the narrative so badly is it's it's due to these agreements so it's it's a cyclical poison between the Fighter The promoter and those contracts and what we're seeing on those cards.
0: Well yeah. Well said. Okay, so I mean is there is there anything any other topic that you want to discuss about? Is there anything on the Areola
1: Ruiz undercover?
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. Let me check it out. Andy Ruiz box wreck. I, I,
1: I think Andy, Ruiz will get a. If I'm going to make a prediction in that fight, I think, I think Andy, Andy Ruiz will get a, will get a stoppage. They're literally rebranding, repackaging him. So Ariolo is a forty-year-old. He's gonna put he's gonna put him over. It's it's just about it's just about Ariola's debt repayment. So theres there's no future upside in him whatsoever. This is just about,
0: yeah, 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 makes sense definitely. I'd um, the
1: compensation being fifteen percent. That's just a repayment of that and any all of the other monies that Heyman has lost on Ariola, whatever they'll they'll get. So I'd go for Ruiz. I really Tough can take punches, but a 40 year old man. they will probably give Ruiz a gift TKO in the between five and seven or something. I don't know who gives
0: a fuck. Yeah, exactly. But I'm on the box track event. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's okay. Uh... Oh, oh, you got the Pandora. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, we, we have... Uh, oh, in fact, I don't care about the Adrian Granada's fight. Uh, Omar Figueroa Jr. versus Abel Ramos. Uh, Abel Ramos, I think he, he was the one who, who just fought uh, Ugas. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, uh, we have. He was, the, he was the one who knocked out Brian Perello,
1: who beat, should have beaten mm-hmm. Tony Hammond, knocked him out in the yeah. last round. So Against Figueroa, that's the ill disciplined figure, oh, yeah? The guy who fought Tony DeMarco a number of years ago. I think it's that one. Okay, that, that's. That could be a. Ramos is a horribly one dimensional fighter as well, man. But. Yeah, that, that's not a brilliant. I think there is Landy Lara, the American dream, who still can't speak English,
0: is fighting as well. <laughs> Yeah, he is fighting Thomas Lamana whose alias is Cornflakes. Damn. <laughs> yes, yeah, <say> no more. <laughs> and uh, like you said Sebastian Fundora is uh, fighting uh, Jorge Cota. Yeah. So,
1: Fandora, Fun- you know. watch the very Different. It's almost it's almost like a paradox to his height, the way he fights. It's aggressive, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen too much of him to make any any sort of conclusive opinion. But kind of entertaining. Yeah. Hey, you know, it's got a bit of power. I, I don't know about his technical style too much. I might watch that out of curiosity. So. Yeah. All
0: right. Yeah, me too. I'll watch it just to see how how well is he going to perform. But I haven't drawn any conclusion yet when it comes to to Fandora, because I only watched. I've only seen his uh, his last fight on uh, on the undercard of uh, Earl Spence versus uh, Danny Garcia. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's it for uh, for this weekend.
1: Fandora uh, myself.
0: Pandora fights at which weight? 154? Uh, I think so. I think so. Oh, and he's 6 feet 6, yeah. Some crazy height. Uh, uh, hold on, I'm back. Super welterweight, yeah, 154. And his height is uh, five foot, uh, 6 foot 5 and a half. Yeah, 6 feet 6. Foot six. With an 80 uh, eighty eighty inches reach. How hmm? many? Eighty. 80, yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking long arms. Like a pterodactyl wing fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, like um like a custom made uh, fighter on a fight night championships. You no, know, when the guys <laughs> would, would <laughs> the fighters reach. Which- Craziest, (laughs) rich. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But, um, okay, so I'm looking at the schedule. That's all when it comes to this weekend. The next week, uh, I mean, look, I'm not trying to to act uh, like some uh, boxing hipster or whatever, but I can't really yet excited about Canelo Alvarez fighting Billy Joe Saunders. Now, indeed, I would admit, however, that uh, seeing Saunders being in such a great shape, at least by what uh, one of his Instagram photos uh, was suggesting, it gives me, it kind of gives me a hope that uh, he may perform uh, well and give him trouble at some point, uh, to some point, rather. But look... We know he cannot knock out Alvarez to save his life. Even if he 12 and owes him, Canelo would still probably get uh, a split decision. So, so either we get the best possible version of uh, Billy Joe Sanders, which... Um, I'm not sure how <laughs> how probable is that shit. I don't think so. Especially not at 168. But even we, uh, if we do so, it doesn't mean a lot. We know who's going to get the decision. Now, if he completely sucks, like he's been sucking in the past, uh, in his whole career indeed, except for, uh, for the Lemieux fight. It means that uh, he would get brutalized, so I don't really care about it. Uh, on the other on the other card, uh, the- yeah. there's Kur- Kurbanov versus Smith, and that's it. I mean, Billy Joe is just...
1: If you watch him recently, it's become so horribly flat-footed, and people don't really understand that. They see him moving around, but he's... Look at the l- just look at the shape of his feet when he's moving, he's hopping. On his entire, not only just his midsole but the front and back, so his heel is he's he's flat footed as hell now, and and any any sort of athletic traits that he once had is I, I think it's been irrevocably lost now. He doesn't have it. And moving up to 168 pounds, just to compensate your ill discipline, your entire career ain't gonna work. Um, he looked so bad against Martin Murray, you know that that was almost shocking. His deterioration that badly, just leaping in, he was out of breath so early. Is a good training camp gonna correct those imbalances? No, because I think they have manifested into his body now, i sure I don't he, – he may look good for a few rounds. And Canelo Alvarez is – well, we talked about him repeatedly. He's as flat – this is a fight between two flat-footed fighters who are horrible. Canelo is so badly flat-footed now. It's almost – but that's what happens when you're in nothing but compromised flights and where the vict- – where the outcome of the fight is already preordained. You can just walk flat footed, you know, with a mid guard lean, leaned over, you know. And Canelo is no longer setting up punches, heavy hooks, yeah, yeah, just yapping with these horrible hooks. Canelo is horrible to watch, my god,
0: yeah, definitely. And oh, yeah, go on, go on.
1: That people just seem to get an erection over his technical (laughs) and his boxing ability, but where? Explain how. I ain't seen it. Last time I see him in a good fight was in the Golovkin fights, but that's where he had to fight, and that's where he was getting beaten up in both fights. Yeah. So I don't know,
0: man. Who gives a fuck about this fight? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, he can talk all about. Now after years of ducking fighters and throwing his belt in the trash, now he's uh, at a weight class yeah. where he he's not surrounded by many threats, so he's like, okay, I'm all about unifying and becoming the, the undisputed, and talking about each weight class should only have one champion which uh, yeah all the right things to say only that we haven't seen you doing so for the past uh, well for multiple years um, for the past 10 years you were doing <clears throat> just the opposite meanwhile since stepping his foot to 168 weight class he's been called out by uh, dmitry bivol numerous times and indeed bivol is it is at uh, light heavyweight but he's a, he's a small guy and I I would give him credit uh, for beating Bivol if uh, Bivol would step down to 168 like he said he would multiple times, but uh, Canelo has been acting like uh, Dimitri Bivol doesn't exist at all because he, he knows he would give him hell. Other thing than that, well, look, Canelo. Uh, what uh, what I saw from him from the cavalry fight on, he saw that at this weight class and uh, being that his uh, gas tank, although uh, it improved somehow. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> suspiciously improved. Although it was never being great, so so he has to to carry a high guard all the time. And uh, one impro- uh, not improvement, but uh, a smart smart change that, uh, that that he made since the Cavalry on is that he's keeping that high guard. He he's doing a lot more of blocking instead of using his upper body movement.
1: Yes. Instead,
0: to, to, to preserve his stamina, and so he, he, he swings just one hook or two hooks all the time just because he has to, to keep his punches hard at this weight class in order to, to be respected uh, by, by his opponents, you know, to, to, to prevent them um, from getting courageous and uh, attacking him with, uh, with volume. And attacking him with volume well just like we thought of counter punchers, uh, that's that's often a, a problem for counter punchers. And so what Canelo is doing is he would swing just one crazy huge left hook or uh, overhand right or very, very short combos out of that high guard. And now he, he's doing much more of blocking and that that's what he does that that's nothing complicated about it uh i would say i would credit his defense his high guard defense is very very good even excellent um i'm going to give him credit but nothing impressive other than that nothing impressive so was so was uh when it comes to, to impressive defense, high guard defense, so was uh, Mutlani's defense.
1: Yeah, exactly. If, if Billy Joe had any remnants of his footwork, his athletic footwork in the past, he would be able to do a Sonny Edwards on, on Alvarez against somebody who's unbelievably flat footed. Never had yeah, never had any sort of educated feet. Or do you? Did, we showed good cutting off the ring, good hooks, left hooks to the body to stop Amir Khan from moving in certain directions. Th- that was the one fight in which he he showed some good boxing ability to eventually, you know, get to the target after the second round. You know, Khan didn't win no four rounds. That's bullshit. Um, Alvarez actually showed very very good educated patience in that fight uh break him down trap him and then knock him out that was that was actually impressive against somebody who you know was going to just keep moving because he never had he never had the fire power to trade in the middle of the ring with saunders it's going to be a case that he will move early on but eventually that that stamina cannot be corrected unless billy joe He's on a significant amount of EPO and he's been taking it throughout his whole camp to boost yeah. his his stamina. So that that stamina is gonna the, the natural balance of that he'll be stamina now is gonna come into equation after the full fifth round. And he's gonna have to stand there and, and literally trade and that's that's where the fight will change. And and, and Saunders, from what I saw, what Shifati Friso was able to do to him when they were trading in those periods, it's going to be downhill from him from that point onwards.
0: Yeah, I think so too, man. But yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's it. Uh, I, I, I would guess my, my, my last thing, the last thing that I would like to say is, uh, well, I would like to remind people to, to check uh, the GoFundMe link in the description that I'm, also posting right now, one one more time in the chat. Read the description. Why? Uh, read the description and who's needing the donations. So um, yeah, a lot of, just yeah. like to
1: acknowledge
0: acknowledge the efforts of a
1: lot of people who've done tremendous fundraising sure, over the last, you know, over the last sort of two weeks. It's been a lot of them, you know, BDAs started it and rivaled boxing talk did his marathon stream and d jefferson and speak in mind him and he's him and the donut crew have done a lot of great fundraising as well yeah. in the past nine ten days whatever else so you know it's not easy doing it's not easy doing these streams it, life is difficult enough as it is but when you're doing it constantly and all of the people coming in and out and you know Spreading the word and just keeping keeping the fundraising going, and it's amazing the way the boxing community rallied, you know, to raise over fifteen thousand dollars. You know, that's you know even the LDBC contributing as well. You know, oh yeah. So that that's nice. You know that that that's that that's what the boxing that's the box that that should be the personification of the boxing community because it's unfortunately become an area where. People are just people are airing their problems, and it's it's almost become like a public like a public a public spectacle for everybody else to watch. You know, two people going at it, and all of these you know nonsensical beefs and frets and whatever else. It's really become a toxic place. It's almost become like the become like a Twitter or a Facebook or whatever else. So that, So it's nice when we have something that can reset that can actually reflect something positive and showing that the communities can come together, you know, in one for a for a you know for a worthwhile cause against a you know a very very decent man who we've never met in person, but you from speaking with Gonzalo for a hell of a long time on the BDA, it was like, um, and, and speaking to him on other channels, you know, just you know very 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 nice guy and he's got a he's got a beautiful son I don't know if you saw some of the, the videos official he's just got those deep sort of inquisitive yeah. where he's, he's almost like downloading all of the information and in his brain is sort of uncoding but he hasn't got the obviously the ability to sort of speak now but just gives you the impression he knows exactly what's going on <laughs>
0: yeah. but yeah, God yeah bless. man
1: yeah.
0: nothing but the best
1: yeah let, let's hope he can th- all of the infections and the pneumonia can dissipate and, and his poor wife as well you know regards to her has been there non-stop sleeping on the floor probably going through hell so yeah let's let's hope they can get some peace and happiness you know bring this son home and you know Back to some sort of tranquility and have a new life raising their child, you know. So, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that would be it. Uh, I guess, uh I will give a shout outs to everybody tuning in or to all of those who, who are going to catch the stream later. Uh, John Gonzalez, Ness Mendoza, Mr. N- Mendoza, uh, Duck, Sina Musia, Dead Guy, uh, who was there, uh, Andre, uh, Vader D. Uh, Triple J, JJJ, of course. Yeah, Andre Rodriguez, Mark, and Rival Boxing Talk. Um, who else? Yeah, that would be it. So, Yeah,
1: many thanks for everybody for joining us for the live. For the live YouTube stream of the show. and uh, We'll be back when official... has um I don't know, we'll wait for official easy he's obviously busy tomorrow i I don't think I'm gonna be doing a a solo stream because the fights I don't know it, it's gonna be hard watching these cards from 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 looking at the cards, but we'll see uh we may be back Monday, Tuesday, something like that, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, there is a possibility that I'm going to be available maybe maybe later uh, tomorrow night. Maybe not at the time that we, we are usually starting our streams, but a bit later. I'm not sure, not sure about it anyways. We are not sure if uh, th- th- there's going to be anything important to say about uh, the fights that are taking place tonight. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we come back uh, another day. So Plus yeah, I have, to, I have to travel and I have
1: to go to Berlin during the week. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah. Anyways, you 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 know, guys, for sure, when uh, when when there are some good fights that that we appreciate and like, and topics that we like to discuss about, we will be uh, we will come back with with an episode on it. We will cover it. Um, but being that these fights tonight well they're not very inspiring, I mean we don't know maybe don't don't be surprised if we come come up with an episode uh, even tomorrow or some other day, maybe not you never know but the the important fights and important topics are always gonna be uh, covered by this channel
1: yeah.
0: On that note,
1: we bid you all sayonara.